Dialoguing on South Asia, we explore the lives of its people, hear their stories and the histories of the land, discover its beauty, and encounter its conflicts, complexities, and harmonies in a search for liberty, peace, and prosperity. Interacting with leaders, activists, academics, and common folk from the South Asian sphere about their work and their passions, their dreams and their life journeys, their immigrant experiences, advocacy efforts, religion, politics, and so much more with this, your host, journalist and author Peter Friedrich. Hand in hand, we meet and stand with South Asia. This is DOSA. Uh, I got introduced to Peter through uh, Twitter, actually, uh, and been following his activism. Uh, we was very vocal during the Manipur issue, and we had the opportunity to host him once during the Manipur issue when he was doing his uh, hunger strike. And uh, yeah, glad to have him here again. Uh, we are quite aware of, of your book, uh, Saffron America, I guess, if I'm not wrong. Uh, which is a very fascinating piece. I still haven't read it, but I'll get my hands on it soon. Uh, yeah, we quite don't have an agenda other than uh, curiosity. We have a lot of curiosity about uh, how Hindutva has uh, rooted well in when in in in, in the US and and in in rest of the world because we we have first-hand information about its state in India. We are facing it every day quite not aware of how the global political system is re reacting to it, how how well it is assimilated in, uh, and things like that. So, yeah, uh, I think that's the primary point of our discussion today. Uh, we'll, have, we'll, have, we'll prob probably have most of the space in English, and it's recorded, so you're welcome to join us and also share it with your friends for listening back later. Thank you. Uh, over to you, Peter. Uh, take it away. Uh, well, yeah. Um, thank you, brother. That's uh, that's fantastic. Um, I mean, as you mentioned, the, the, you're well aware of what uh, Hindutva is doing in India. Um, but, um, you know, uh, focus of my work, as, as, as you're aware, has been especially not uh, just uh, on what is happening in India with Hindutva, although I've focused on that quite extensively. Uh, but uh, especially on um, how Hindutva has taken root in the U.S. and um, why it matters in context of what's happening in India and also why it matters in context of um, how it impacts us, us here in the U.S. Um, and yes, uh, my most recent publication is, is this book. Uh, it's on Amazon uh, called Saffron America. Um, which is uh, really the only book uh, in existence at the moment which comprehensively details, investigates and details um, the nature of the main Hindutva organizations at work in the U.S., um, some of their goals and activities, um, especially also their uh, liaisons with particular politicians um, at primarily at both the federal and, and state level um, and um, then some ways in which the anti-Hindutva movement in the U.S. has been uh, pushing back and also some arguments which the anti-Hindutva uh, movement in the U.S. Um, 
uh, has used successfully, can use successfully to to push back, especially against this allegation, uh, this uh, fraudulent allegation of, of Hindu phobia, uh, which is raised by the uh, Hindutva movement um, against their their critics and opponents. Um, <clears throat> so, um, as you mentioned, uh, no particular agenda. Same same from my end. Um, I'm I'm here. I'm here to talk. Here to engage. Um, one of the main things that I would say, I, I've said this increasingly over the past year or so in, in a number of public forums, is that what's happening in India right now um, is something that needs to be resisted. But here we are, we're, uh, especially for the people that are here gathered today, we're mostly in America, which is quite literally um, on the almost the exact opposite other side of the world from from India, um, and our ability to resist what's happening in India, as we see this this um, uh, apparently unstoppable rise of of, of Hindutva sweeping across the country, our ability to resist that from here in America. Um, is 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 limited you know for many of us i mean i know especially for myself i can't go to india um we we can't send money there to support causes by and large um there's some ways especially you know hopefully like for uh for um uh humanitarian relief in places like Manipur. um there are some ways that it might be possible and uh to actually actually support that uh materially uh financially but in general, when it comes to the ideological struggle uh, against Hindutva, um, there's uh, almost a complete cutoff as far as what we're able to do in terms of supporting that in any way financially. So in terms of going there, like uh, uh, putting our bodies online, we can't really go there, most of us. In terms of financially, putting our pockets on the line, we can't really do that financially. Um, and um you know that that, that kind of leaves the question of what 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 can we do um we can continue talking about um documenting exposing the atrocities that are occurring in india itself um which uh, i am continue, continuing to do and which we should continue to do um but Many other people are doing that, um, and and many people, um, you know, organizations with large staffs and and deep pockets are 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 engaged in doing that. And we, as individuals, we should be doing it ourselves, and we should also be amplifying the work of those who have the uh, greater um, material backing to be doing it. You know, whether it's Human Rights Watch or um, U.S. Commission for International Religious Freedom or Indian American Muslim Council, or uh, Hindutva Watch, or groups like this. Um, they are doing great work about documenting and exposing what is happening in India, which we should amplify, we should even build upon ourselves as individuals. But beyond that, when it comes to how we personally, in America, when we're basically, we're locked out of India, um, there's very little we can actually do there. And there's plenty of other people that are doing the uh, hard, essential work to um, expose what's happening in India, 
what can we be doing? What should we be doing? And what, what I've been saying is that we need to consider um, the impact on the influence and power of the Song Parivar here in America um, and the way that they have served as a very essential support base for the regime back there in India. And consider how here in America, because the American Song Parivar is also based here in the same country, uh, here in America, we have the, the freedom. Well, we don't face any legal repercussions by and large, certainly at least not from the government. Uh, we don't face arrest or anything like that. Um, we don't face mob attacks. Um, we, we, we don't face uh, infringement of our freedom of speech, of freedom of press, freedom of assembly, etc. Here in America, the most impactful thing that I believe that we can be doing on this issue is to work to document and expose the activities of the American Song Parivar, um, whether they're illegal activities, which in some cases they might be, or unethical activities, which in many cases I would argue they are, um, or simply, um, uh, one could maybe phrase it as immoral activities, which I would say in almost all cases they definitely are in terms of how they're supporting, aiding and abetting the regime back there in India and, and its atrocities. Um, and that we should understand that the American Song Parivar serves as the uh, biggest pillar of support internationally for the regime back in India. And as far as making an impact within the anti-Hindutva struggle, that we need to consider how kicking out that pillar of support might be one of the most important things that we can do. And um, dovetailing off of that a little bit, especially in context of the anti-caste movement and the embed correct movement, um, I don't claim that uh, I am 100% accurate, but, but my, my opinion is that um, Dr. Ambedkar uh, talked about the need to move the caravan forward and continue moving the caravan, the caravan forward uh, in the anti-caste struggle. And what I would argue um, at this point is that the anti-caste struggle, um, especially in India, and also here in the U.S., as we've seen in context of what happened in California, will be will continue to be stalled. The, the, the moving forward of the caravan will continue to be impeded as long as the Hindutva movement is in power. Uh, now, the Hindutva movement does not have to necessarily be eradicated in order for the caravan to move forward. But when it, as long as it's in power, especially in India, um, the anti-caste struggle, in my opinion, um, faces a, a, a stranglehold, an a, a, um, um, obstacle that cannot be overcome until that, anti, until that Hindutva movement is, is, is removed uh, from, from the road, from blocking the road. Uh, so with that, um, I'll, I'll uh, uh, take my silence for a moment. Uh, 
Yes, uh, Peter, can, can you explain the structure of uh, how this in into the moment uh, works here, like uh, in your book? Uh, because I am reading in your, uh, the book, uh, you mentioned like five organization of uh, of the into the uh, working year. Can you explain that one? Because that that part uh, nobody knows how the organization year, how structurally they are well organized, how they are doing. Uh, can you explain it a bit? on that part. Yeah, sure, brother. Um, so, and please interject if you would like any clarification or like me to expand upon something. So basically in my book, um, I talk about what I call the name brand American song power of our organizations. Um, when I say name brand, I mean those organizations which are uh, identifiable as directly linked to the song in India. Um, these are um, the HSS, which is the U.S. wing of the RSS, the VHP America, which is the U.S. wing of India's VHP, which is, uh, and I apologize if I'm probably going to say some things which you already know, but the VHP in India is the uh, cultural or religious wing of India's RSS. Um, Seva International, or uh, excuse me, OFBJP. Uh, overseas Friends of the BJP, which is the U.S. wing of the BJP back in India, which is the political wing of the RSS. Uh, Seva International, which is the U.S. wing of Seva Bharati, which is the charitable wing of uh, India's RSS. Um, and Ekal Vidyalaya, um, which is a kind of a little bit more of a unique organization, um, which doesn't have a direct corollary to an organization back in India. Um, but which is um, uh, focused on floating these one from the U.S. funding and then in India creating uh, these one teacher schools in rural, especially tribal uh, areas, um, which are staffed primarily by RSS affiliated teachers and which are intended to uh, brainwash uh, rural, uh, uh, poorly educated uh, young people in tribal areas into the RSS ideology. Um, these five organizations in America um, all began to take root around the 1970s. Um, I believe the VHP America um, was the first organization founded in, in the late 1970s, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the HSS uh, USA, I believe, was the second organization uh, founded in around 1989. And then the OFBJP, Overseas Friends of the BJP, was the third organization founded in 1992-93, uh, when at the time, uh, as I recall, uh, I believe LK Advani from India's BJP, um, came over to the U.S. to Los Angeles, I believe, uh, to uh, preside over the establishment of the Overseas Friends of the BJP to create a um, American-based uh, subsidiary of the BJP, which would serve as a propaganda wing in America to, um, in, in their words, and I'm paraphrasing, but in their words, to like correct the narrative and tell the correct narrative about what the BJP wants and, and, and stands for. Uh, thereafter, in the 2000s, uh, I, I, 
believe in the 2000s, uh, Save International was founded. I want to say 2004. And I believe it might have been the 1990s, but if I, from, from, from recall, I think it was in the 2000s, a call Vidyalaya was founded. Now, within the U.S., these five name brand song, American song part of our organizations, all have deeply, they're all, um, let me preface that, they're all legally separate organizations. They are all legally separate organizations. However, they all, their, their leadership is all deeply interconnected, intersectional. Uh, overlapping. Um, one primary example is that the chair, for instance, of SEVA International, the, this uh, charitable wing of the uh, RSS in America, this um, uh, the SEVA International, the, their chairperson is a man named Ramesh Bhutada. Ramesh Bhutada is also the vice president of the HSS USA. Another example is uh, Chandru Bambra, who is based in the San Francisco Bay Area in California. Chandru Bambra has been the um, uh, Northern California head of HSS USA, but he has also been, if I recall correctly, the Northern California head of the Overseas Friends of the BJP. And as one examines these organizations, um, there is uh, increasingly exposed a deep um, um, uh, uh, cross-pollination uh, between these organizations of leaders and members where you, you do have five separate legal, se legally separate organizations but they all have um, leaders and members who they're 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 involved in one or two or three or four of of you know these uh, all five of these American Song Power organizations. Um, beyond that, um, and I'm going to pass this back over to you, Dilly Babu, in a minute, uh, in order to like if you want clarification or want me to expand on something. Uh, beyond that. Um, Organizations which, it, for instance, in my book, I, I touch upon include groups like the Hindu American Foundation. Now, I do not claim that the Hindu American Foundation falls within the framework that I've uh, created of these five name brand American song power of our organizations. These five name brand American song power of our organizations are all directly on the surface, linkable back to the song in India. Like there's a, there's a direct, like on paper, um, ability to trace them back to the RSS or its affiliates in India. The Hindu American Foundation is not one of those. It has, uh, I would argue, kept its nose much cleaner. Um, it was created as a relatively separate organization. It was, however, created by people um, who had long-term relationships with or association with the song Parvar back in India. So the Hindu American Foundation in, Amer Hindu, in America, the, the Hindu American Foundation 
was created by people who had a long-term association with the RSS or affiliates back in India itself. Um, and it was created in 2002, um, which for those who know their history, uh, was when the anti-Muslim uh, pogrom occurred in Gujarat um, and was a pivotal moment in terms of especially the, the rise of the Hindutva movement and also the rise of the anti-Hindutva movement. Um, and it was created, um, you know, and I would uh, sidebar that with like considering what was happening in India at the time. In India, uh, the RSS, for instance, oftentimes likes to boast that it has a Muslim wing. Uh, I'm blanking on the exact name of it at the moment, but it, it does. The RSS does have a negligible uh, um, um, Muslim wing. That Muslim wing in India of the RSS was created in about November or I think November or December of 2002. The pogrom against Muslims in Gujarat occurred in about March of 2002. So about six months after the biggest anti-Muslim pogrom by the RSS in India occurred, they created a um, facade of a Muslim wing, uh, the, the Rashtriya Muslim Manch, I believe it's called, um, at the same time here in America, uh, within that same year. Um, there was established for the first time ever uh, the Hindu American Foundation, which has now emerged as probably the most powerful, the most influential, and the most deeply pocketed um, pro-Hindutva organization in America. Um, many of the board of the Hindu American Foundation currently and also over the years um, are um, children of, often you often have children of, um, as in the case, for instance, of, of Mr. Rishi Bhattada, uh, who is the son of Ramesh Bhattada, uh, who is, uh, Ramesh Bhattada is the vice president of HSS USA. Many of the board of, of HEF, Hindu American Foundation, um, are the children of people who have been involved oftentimes as executive leaders in, um, in these five name brand American song part of our organizations. Um, these include especially people like uh, Rishi Patata, as I just mentioned. Uh, these in include people like um, Kavita Palod, uh, Kavita Palod Saksarya, um, who is... Um, the daughter of Vijay Palod, uh, who is a cousin by marriage of Ramesh Bhattada, who, as I mentioned, Ramesh Bhattada is HSS USA Vice President and also SEVA International Chair. Um, Vijay Palod, his, uh, Ramesh Bhattada's cousin by marriage, is um, a longtime activist uh, in the OFBJP who actually um, in 2014 is on record. He traveled to India uh, before the general election to uh, serve as boots on the ground to campaign for Modi and the BJP. Um, 
uh, Vijay Palod, this cousin uh, by marriage of Ramesh Uttada. Vijay Palod is also um, a longtime activist in the HSS. Um, and he's on record uh, stating uh, as far back as I think the 80s in, in diaspora media, uh, diaspora newspaper articles in America, Vijay Palod is on record saying that his first encounter with the RSS, and he says, he uses the word RSS, not HSS, but RSS. His first encounter with the RSS was going to his cousin's house and encountering a constant flow in and out of RSS people. And that's what got him, got him involved. This guy, Vijay Palod, uh, Ramesh Bhutada, uh, to name two right now, um, in even before the 2014 election, both of these gentlemen, they live in Houston area in Texas, even before the 2014 election, um, they are on record in Indian American diaspora media, newspaper outlets, um, having traveled in December 2011 to India to go to an RSS summit hosted for HSS members. And they're on record being pictured, Vijay Palod, Andrew Meshputada from Houston, Texas area. They're uh, on record being pictured wearing the actual official RSS uniform, not the HSS uniform, which is slightly different, but the RSS uniform, the khaki shorts, the, the white shirt, and, and the black cap. Um, there's other people uh, who are also from the American song Paravar who are on record being involved in that similar uh, picture and in going there. Anyways, wrapping up. With the HAF, um, I set that aside as kind of a separate category um, that is, uh, yes, one of, uh, which is, yes, the strongest uh, pro-Hindutva voice, especially at a federal level uh, in America, which is not actually, from my perspective, something that fits exactly into these five name brand song part of our organizations in America, um, but which is founded by and uh, to a large founded by people who have association with the song in India and to a large extent uh, led by people who are the um, uh, direct children of American song part of our leaders. And with that, I pass it over, back over to you. Yes, yes, Peter. Um, so, um, so there are five organizations. So here in US, BHPA first started. Uh, that was started, I think it's 1970, and then uh, HSS came, and then office uh, office of BH uh, BJP came, then YEK, and then SEVA, and then YEK. Actually, the I, I see the organization is. Uh, so for these five organizations, each one has separate agenda. Like uh, I think BHP, VHPA, it's a religious organization. And uh, uh, Office of BJP, it's a political wing of RSS, actually, as per your book. And remaining two organizations, uh, Yek and uh, SWAD, this one is a like a charity organization where they, uh, the fund is collected through this organization. So uh, I, I would like to know 
these organization how they influence in the us actually see some of the things are getting influence in the presidential even uh, the congress and presidential and even they proclaim uh, i see uh, i am regularly following their tweets and they are uh, I, i see many places they proclaim like diwali uh, diwali function and yoga and uh, they term it and they get a pro- uh, proclaim so uh, how they work that organization as actually they are uh, they works uh, a different way when you compare to other things because i uh, everybody um, i see some of the persons where uh, Uh, they are executing two to three organization so can you explain little bit more on this organization how they are influencing in the in the congress and the presidential uh, level yeah of course um so to preface for i think most of the audience here probably already has some conception of how the rss or the song in india works so at the top you've got the RSS right the original organization the fountainhead the mothership um and underneath you have this whole spidery network going down of all kinds of different special interest subsidiary organizations now in india um you have like the VHP america or the VHP which serves as the religious wing in india so Well, the RSS is, you know, um uh, engaging in its um it's it's dominating the streets, it's marching through the streets as a paramilitary, it's showing off its power. Um the VHP within the religious context is um getting all kinds of religious leaders like linked into it uh within religious institution institutions. It's uh spreading its particular ideology. which is all about homogenizing hinduism etc etc um then you you've got the bajrang dal which people argue i would argue it, it, the bajrang dal is like the the youth wing of the vhp which is the religious wing of the rss the bajrang dal is like the foot soldiers of the uh of the song the bajrang dal does a lot of the dirty work uh, a, a lot of what like in in like uh, context of these um uh intelligence movies and a- agencies you 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 call wet work um the the bajrang dal is the one like getting blood on their hands um then you have the abvp akhil bharatiya uh, yeah uh pravasi abvp a- anyways um you have the abvp which is a student wing they're the ones working in universities gathering students to the cause like getting students uh agitating and protesting getting students demanding certain things in the curriculum you have you have other groups you have like uh groups for farmers groups for attorneys groups for etc 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 same thing here in the US although we have a smaller uh collection of special interest sampradaya groups because it's outside of india um you have the hss the hss is the group uh that is involved in establishing itself in this country as the sole voice of the hindu american community there are the ones that are involved in going out to the offices of politicians going out to interfaith groups 
going out to um, places like that and presenting themselves as we, we alone represent um, the collective voice of the entire Hindu American community. Um, I would argue that the VHP America um, is probably the organization which is involved in things like spreading ideology, spreading Hindutva ideology among the Hindu American population. So while you have the HSS USA going out as a pub forward-facing public face, presenting itself as the sole uh, representative of Hindu-Americans. Within the Hindu-American community, I would argue that the VHB America is working on consolidating um, the Hindu-American uh, community and um, propagandizing an, uh, them with hindu ideology. Um, the OFBJP then, um, from from the U.S. is using U.S. soil to project outwards towards India, primarily. And, and, and there's exceptions to all of these, but primarily. The OFBJP USA is using American soil to project outwards towards India um, to um, help India um, or to help the BJP in India to, to get elected. And arguably also propagandize Indians in India. Um, at the same time, also uh, doing some kind of a uh, cross-pollination where they're doing that from America to India. Well, from India to America, the OFBJP is also engaged in activities like uh, bringing over BJP politicians to um, travel around, tour around um the country and meet with, especially meet with already propagandized, uh, already brainwashed elements of the Hindu American community and um, connect, uh, connect them back or make them feel connected back to plug them into uh, the BJP back in India. Seva International um, here in the US, which is actually the most deep pocketed organization in, of, of uh, deep pocketed Hindutva organization in the US, I believe. Don't quote me on this, because uh, uh, this is from Recall, but if I recall correctly, um, Save International has maybe like $20 million in assets on hand as of the latest reports, something like that. Uh, they have deep, deep pockets. They raise a lot of money, um, millions and millions of dollars. They Save International raises money in the U.S., which from what I understand, what I've seen, appears to be mostly sent back to India and sent back to India to be uh, distributed by RSS-linked uh, personalities or organizations. Uh, I have a primary example of that in my book, um, which was uh, uh, during uh, the pandemic, where Seva International Money was sent back to India. Um, it was raised for oxygen, I believe, and it was sent back to India and um, distributed um, you know, on more than one occasion by one of the top RSS executives. So it's sent back there um, and it's used by RSS-linked people in India uh, to fund particular charitable endeavors. And, and this, uh, I'm going to pause for a second and, and clarify this. Both in America and in India, 
the HSS and the RSS, the entire Song Parabar, especially the HSS, RSS, they do, they do engage in actual charity. The HSS in America, for instance, uh, especially, um, and I think they're especially limited here in America by American law to uh, doing it on a more equitable, equitable basis. They engage in a lot of things like, for instance, food banking, which is fantastic. But the fact that they do that does not change their ideological parentage, does not change the reality of who they are as, Amer as Song Paravar organizations. Anyways, with the money that Save International in America sends back to India, um, there's a lot of evidence that over the years that money has been um, either unfairly distributed uh, distri distributed with prejudice and discrimination uh, only to Hindus, not to other people. Um, um, support for Save International from uh, figures here in America like um, uh, Rajiv Mahotra in New Jersey, for instance, um, to give money to Seva because they only give money to Hindus. Um, or evidence that, say, for instance, after 2002, if I recall correctly, the pogrom in Gujarat, that money raised here um, was used back there um, to actually help to uh, propagandize uh, further um, Hindutva radicalization. And then again, with uh, now lastly, with um, I call it Yalaya, uh, EK, or uh, EV, um, that they um, are raising money here. The money here, as far as I know, uh, raised is not used in any way whatsoever here in America. It's all sent back to India, um, but it's used back there in India to create these schools, which are used to brainwash young students into Hindutva ideology. Uh, so, so I hope that answers your question, Dilly Babu. If, if, if there was an uh, aspect I didn't touch on, uh, please let me know. Uh, yes, sir. I, I I would uh, I would I would add additional point to your uh, to your data. Actually, as per the data, two thousand twenty one, uh, the revenue is uh, is forty seven point two million. Expensive is twenty eight, but total assets is like twenty eight billion. Actually, same like what you pointed out. Uh, uh, and this is this is for Seva. Yes, Seva. And uh, for Ek, it is like their total asset is eight point three. And VHP is like 5.3 billion, and uh, HSS it's 5.5. Uh, uh, but all the records. Yeah, and and, and 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 thank you for pulling up the exact because that's one of the things I actually just started looking into that um, um, and talking about that kind of on the road um, earlier this year is I think that's one of the very important things for people in the anti-Hindutva movement to understand is uh, not to. Not to get discouraged by, but to understand is this is the realistic place where we're at, is that one, um, understand that these groups are deeply interconnected. These Hindutva American Song Parvar groups, I argue, represent a vast minority, tiny little fringe minority of the actual entire Hindu American population, whether the most vocal they're the most active, they're the most organized, and they're the most deeply pocketed. And when we look at like HSS, VHP America, and um, uh, uh, and and Seva, 
um, and I think those three put together uh, the numbers you just threw out, but they have like they have like forty, fifty million dollars in assets on hand as of the latest reporting, um, which is public information. Um, as of twenty, I think the latest reporting is twenty twenty one, and and I would emphasize that's assets. That's that's not like income. That's that that's what they have in the bank. Okay, uh, so so the uh, so uh, can, you... can you hear me? Yes, yes. Okay, so um, there is this another organization called the BABS, uh, which primarily uh, handles the temples. And if you recall, this organization was under the scanner. Uh, during uh, the FBI raid in the New Jersey temple where they were using the lower caste Dalits as slave laborers. Uh, so I'd like to draw your attention to BAPS, which is associated with this Pariwar. Uh, and there is another organization called Akshay Patra, which is also uh, doing a lot of charity. And then there is another organization by the Jain uh, community, which is also connected to RSS. But primarily uh, the BAPS, which handles all the temples, uh, is a big one. And they have a lot of money and they are also involved, as I said, in slave labor of Dalits and the money laundering to India. I just wanted to draw your attention to that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, South Asian Journal. I'm very aware of uh, uh, BAPS BAPS um, and the incident or incidents that you mentioned, I think it was in New Jersey and Texas, where they were raided by the FBI um, and they were apparently engaged in, you know, de facto slave labor um, they were bringing over uh, Dalits or, or, or lower caste people from India to work as laborers on the temple, confiscating their passports, paying them like a dollar a day or something like that, um, and uh, confining them to the premises, um, de facto slave labor. Um, and uh, BAPS has, from what I understand, a long history of being uh, very pro Modi, very pro BJP and deeply associated with them. Um, I have not uh, done the work yet um, to actually trace if they can be confirmed fully as RSS affiliated, um, but they definitely appear to be pretty much um, Hindutva aligned. Uh, whether whether they are or not, certainly um, uh, they they do fall in 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 line with uh, being um, uh, problematic, to say the least, uh, as far as uh, being um, uh, uh, horribly casteist, um, which is not one and the same thing with with uh, Hindutva, but often has overlap. Um, with these other organizations you mentioned, um, they're definitely worth investigating. Um, one thing I would argue 
um, is that at the moment, I think that there's still a lot of legwork to be done, a lot of heavy lifting, heavy lifting to be done when it comes to taking what we already know about these name brand song American song power organizations. So like setting aside BOPs, setting aside uh, these other organizations you mentioned, just looking at these five name brand ones and taking what, what's documented about them, what's already been exposed about them, what's on record, and presenting that to the American public and in particular to American politicians. And that um, while we can continue and we should continue to um, uh, investigate and, and go after groups like this, including groups especially like BOPS, which are engaged in actual like on American soil exploitation of marginalized, vulnerable people. Um, when it comes to making a headway with the anti-Hindutva struggle in, in the U.S., especially on a political level where we still have to convince the U.S. government that they need to be concerned about this issue, um, I think that there's still so much work to be done as far as um, taking that work that has already been uh, compiled uh, say, for instance, in, in my latest book, Saffron America, um, about uh, the existence and nature and activities of the name brand American Song Parivar and taking that to uh, the American public, to the American politicians and getting them to wake up. And that if that work is done, if that legwork is done, if some of these American politicians start to wake up, if... Um, we start to see cracks in the facade uh, that India has created around itself, that the Modi regime has created around itself. Uh, if we start to see cracks in the facade here in America, in the socio and, and political scene, that um, there is huge potential um, for um, uh, making headway on combating the problems with some of these other organizations. Uh, again, I, I have a question. Uh, I, I see here the congressmen are, are uh, any person, who the, even the councils, they were not uh, awareness of these groups, actually. Um, I see whether it is due to awareness or they don't want to do it, actually. I, I got a lot of uh, confusion on this, uh, their uh, agenda, because in the same state, one... Uh, one place they banned it, other place they allow it actually. So, can you explain, Peter, if you know it? 30, 40 members of Congress active doing something, speaking out, um, the backlash they faced would be diluted. But if we're in the position we're in now, where there's almost nobody speaking out, if anybody speaks out, the backlash they face will be very focused and intensive. Uh, they will face backlash being called Hindu-phobes, being accused of, of anti-Hindu bigotry, being accused of being anti-India, being accused of this thing, that thing, being accused of being in the pocket of the ISI, being accused of all kinds of things like that, right? So uh, from that perspective, uh, we have to understand that politically, 
um, they face um, a, a negative incentive to action. Um, uh, the positive incentive to not act is also that like, they don't see an advantage to it. Um, like, uh, I- I- unless, unless they, they see that, uh, you know, cause they're politicians, um, unless they see that there is going to be, um, advantage to them speaking by gaining votes or by gaining campaign funds or by gaining positive press then there's there's no positive incentive for them to speak um so there's no there's no positive incentive for them to speak there's a lot of negative incentive for them not to speak um additionally i think a lot of them on both sides of the aisle left and right it's it's so mainstream now and hopefully it might change especially after we saw you know xi xi jinping uh you know what he came and said and did in 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 california recently um, I'm no fan of the CCP, but um, I, I, I also don't want um, this unnecessary enmity and hostility with, with, with China. And, and I was um, happy to see what he said. And so maybe that might hopefully influence uh, American foreign policy in some way. But the reality is right now on left and right that everybody is mainstreamed, sold in, bought into this idea that India is the necessary geopolitical lever and balance uh, against the expansionist power of China. And um, so unless in, in, in one can convince the politicians otherwise, then it's going to be a losing battle. Now, I, I think I would argue that one of the best ways to convince the politician otherwise is to help them to understand that setting aside all all matters of principle setting aside all of our personal ideologies that looking at it from a machiavellian utilitarian perspective and hypothetically for the benefit of the doubt right now accepting okay fine you guys want to use uh, india as a balance against china whatever go ahead hypothetically accepting that the reality is that if, if we can get these politicians to accept this reality, the reality is that the direction that India is headed um, as they're headed towards fascism or already fascists, as they're headed towards a massacre of their own citizens, as they're headed towards, I mean, within that context, they're not ultimately going to be economically successful and viable. They're also not going to be a strong nation. Well, then the argument is, if we can get our politicians to accept from a Machiavellian utilitarian perspective, the argument is that India will not be a useful ally or balance or lever against an expansionist China, even if that's what you want. Um, now, as far as the don't know, so, so, so that's on, on, on the don't care side. As far as on the don't know side, yes, I would also argue that a lot of these politicians don't know. Um, Some of them definitely do, and they're setting it aside. Um, I would argue people like in that category are people like Congressman Rokana. He definitely knows, but he's choosing not to act. Um, But there are people, I've sat in the offices of members of Congress in the past and, um, you know, shown shown them videos of the RSS marching in the streets in India. 
and um they're like wait what is this what what wait what these are these are hindus wait so what are you there there are hindu like militants in india and i'm like yes there are hindu militants in india and they're like, really and i'm like yeah and so i would argue from my experience from my understanding one has to realize that a lot of these American politicians have had no exposure to South Asian culture or politics, especially, you know, Indian culture or politics. And they're still locked into this, like, and, and I, I call it like this uh, unintentionally prejudiced, unintentionally bigoted uh, perspective. Uh, that India consists of nothing more than Gandhi, yoga, Bollywood, and maybe also curry. Like, that's what a lot of Americans, like, they're, they're, they're so ignorant about the complexities of India. Like, they don't even grasp, like, you know, in the north you got roti, in the south you got dosa. Like, it, 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 in, in the north you have people that are, like, like tall, you know, by and large in the South, people tend to be shorter. In the, uh, like you've got like 25, 30 different languages across the entire country. There is no major indigenous language that's like universal to the subcontinent. The, blah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They don't even grasp like basic things about India like that, let alone the complexities of the problems in India. And so it, it, it's it's a combination of, of of both don't care and and also especially don't know. Okay, South Asia, can you speak actually? Yeah. So, I mean, it's not just the Muslims who are at the receiving end of the Hindu militancy in India. Uh, the Christians are also facing a lot of persecution. Uh, there have been a lot of attacks on the Christian pastors and the missionaries all over North India, and particularly in straight uh, uh, rule by the BJP. So, I mean, why has the conservative Americana woken up to this? Yeah, good question. Um, look, I believe from my years of involvement in this that one of the biggest problems is that the conservative Christians in America are not being approached by Indian Americans asking them to raise the issue. Um, I just spoke last weekend at the National Association of Asian Indian Christians annual banquet. Um, and this is one of the things that I spoke about. Um, and it touched a chord from uh, what I perceived as the feedback. It really touched a chord with my audience, speaking primar primarily to Indian Christians, Indian American Christians is that I'm saying you as Indian American Christians are not doing the work of approaching your fellows here in America. 
So, I mean, it's one thing, like I can have people come to me and I actually, I have had people come to me many times over the years. I've had Sikhs come to me and, uh, tell me like, Hey, Peter, you're a Christian. Like, can you please go and outreach to the American Christian church and ask them to speak about Indian Christians and what's happening to them? I've had Muslims come and say, Peter, you're a Christian. Can you please go and outreach to the American Christian church and ask them to speak about what's happening to Indian Christians? I've had Christians in India come and tell me the exact same thing and ask me, Peter, like, this is Christians from India, in India. They ask me, like, Peter, like, why are Christians in America not talking about what's happening to us? And, and here's the thing, is that I, I'm a single solitary voice, and I am happy, eager to spend as much time as possible raising that voice about what's happening to Christians, you know, in this particular case, or, or to Muslims, or to Sikhs, or to Dalits, etc., etc., or to secular Hindus, um, progressive Hindus uh, in India. But like in, in this particular context, like talking about uh, like conservative, like Christian uh, communities in, in the U.S., um, my voice only makes real-world impact if it is in, raised in partnership with the voices of Indian American Christians. So if I go knocking on the doors, cold calling like the churches in America, like I can call a thousand of them. Maybe one might listen to me. Maybe. If I work hand in hand in partnership um, with Indian American Christians and they go within their own local communities where they already have established relationships in their local communities in, in you know, in New Jersey and California and Texas and Illinois. Um, and they go and they make those contacts and then they, you know, they, you know, bring me in and, and, and they say, Hey, this is our friend, you know, Peter. And like, can you listen to him? Because he has, he can, uh, like, lay out the issue for you in a way which um, you can understand and, and uh, with the details. But like, we want you to listen to him because he's going to talk to you about what's happening to our Indian Christian brothers and sisters back in India. Like that, that sort of thing is what needs to happen, but I'm seeing that happen very rarely. Um, and uh, I, I, I would argue that like, that's, that's the primary reason why like, these conservative or conservative Christian voices in, in the U S aren't, aren't paying attention is because there's not enough, um, on the ground community mobilization happening. There's, there's a lot of concern about what's happening in India that I've seen among the Indian American populations at, at, at all levels, small, all religious backgrounds. Um, but, uh, as far as the organization, the mobilization, um, it sadly pales in comparison uh, to what the American Hindutva groups have, um, which is also disappointing because the um, Indian American Christian, Muslim, Sikh, Dalit, and Bedkarite, etc., um, population actually outnumbers uh, not only the uh, 
American Hindu, but especially the American uh, Prohindutva population by far. Uh, hi, sir. Mm. Hi, Peter. Welcome back to our Tamil space once again. Thanks for joining us. I just wanted to tell you that uh, you remember that two years ago or three years ago, there was a bulldozer that happened in New Jersey on an Indian national parade. Actually, the Hindus were the largest community who asked for an apology from the municipality. And most of the people, not most, except one councilman, everybody asked for a public apology in front of everyone. So Hindus are also with other people and fighting with Hindutva. But the problem with us is we are all belonging to different states and we all are in different groups. There is no one such group like HSS to come and fight for us. That's the biggest problem that I could see. So what are your thoughts about it? Yeah, thank you. Um, my thoughts on that. I do recall, uh, actually, the uh, bulldozer incident in Edison, New Jersey was, was last year, uh, August of 2022. Um, and as far as the, the, the fighting back aspect, my thoughts are, um, I've said this before, I'll say it again. We have to consider um, that if what we argue about the RSS is true, which is that the RSS is fascist, here is one of the things that fascists have going in their favor, which is that as fascists, it's easy to get them all on the same page at the same time it's easy to get them all locking or walking in lockstep fascists are all about um like uh this group think where everybody thinks the exact same thing it's homogeneity it's uniformity the opposition to fascism um tends to be premised on I mean, realization that that's, that's uh, uh, um, among many other things, that's, that, that's a atrocious denial of the beauty of the individuality of humanity and uh, how we're, we are all different. We're all diverse and we want to be different from each other. Within that context, um, the opposition to fascism, broad or generically, and the opposition to Hindutva specifically um, is always going to be opposition which is fractured, which is not homogenous, which is not uniform. And um, if it ever becomes uh, homogenous or, or, or uniform, I, I think that that should be worrisome to us because we don't want an organization like the HSS to be opposing the HSS. We don't want an organization like the RSS to be opposing the RSS because that means to become like the monster that we're fighting. Uh, that means to become like the fascists that we're fighting. Um, I think that we need to learn uh, to 
do two things. Uh, one is is appreciate um, the what we're trying to preserve is the beauty of diversity and difference, which um, the enemy wants to eradicate. Um, and that uh, two is to understand that that um, diversity and difference is actually the strength that we have. Um, it's the strength that we have in fighting a fascist movement. So the RSS, the Hindutva movement, it's fascist, it's uniform, it's homogeneous, homogenous. Um, it's, you know, easy to get them all on the same page, walking in, lo in lockstep all at the same time. Well, they're like what we consider to be um, a standing army. They're this giant standing uniformed army, which is highly recognizable most of the time. How do you defeat a standing army? Historically, you defeat a standing army with guerrilla tactics, fighting like insurgents, with people operating autonomously, with the opposition, um, which we are, with the resistance, which we are, um, behaving in such a way where we are not all on the same page. We're approaching it from different angles. We're approaching it for different reasons and different motivations. We're approaching it with different tactics. We're sometimes fighting very different battles. Like some, I might be fighting a battle here, or you might be fighting a battle way over there. But we're all fighting against the same army, the same enemy. Um, and and I think that like from a like more of a philosophical per, uh, perspective, that it's important for the anti-Hindutva movement to um, um, have that self-visualization of, of itself, um, that self-image, that it, it is uh, diverse, disparate, different. We don't have a lot in common, oftentimes. Um, despite, and, and, and sidebarring this, despite the fact um, the Hidatva movement likes to talk about this, this Break India coalition. You may have heard of this before. Uh, Rajiv Malhotra, I believe, invented the term, but it's been picked up um, in India. And they uh, conceptualize this idea that um, the people who are against the Hindutva movement, and they, they, um, um, they conflate the Hindutva movement with the nation of India, which, you know, is incorrect. Um, but they conflate it with that, and so they call it a break India movement. And so they, they, they can uh, conceptualize that the anti-Hindutva movement consists of, and bear with me, Muslims, Pakistanis, jihadists, Islamists, uh, maybe people from the Middle East, um, Christians, missionaries, the Vatican, evangelists, um, Sikhs, Khalistanis, uh, Dravidians, uh, Tam uh, Tamil nationalists, uh, Dalits, um, oh, who else? Um, the Tukte Tukte gang, leftists, Maxilites, Maoists, 
Chinese, ISI, uh, and and on and on and on. And then to that, I have tongue-in-cheek on many occasions, including this one, I'll add, and Martians, and the women of Venus, and cats. And, you know, that, that, those, those, those troops of monkeys, like, you know, not the Indian monkeys, but the, 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 Destrohi monkeys. And, and, and it just gets to be to the point of, 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 of ridiculous, to the point that it deserves to be ridiculed, where, where their argument on one side is that everybody who happens to have a problem with Hindutva and its fascism is all somehow linked up partnered in a conspiracy against India. Even though if, if like we start to break down all the groups they're talking about, like what do any of these groups have in common? None of them have anything in common. Like what does the Vatican have in common with the ISI? What, is, what, is, what, 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 what do Khalistanis have in common with Christian missionaries? Nothing. So I mean, that's what they're, what they're conjecturing on that one side. On our side, I think what we need to do is recognize the reality is that there are so many people who understand the fascism and the evil of Hindutva, and that many of us have nothing in common whatsoever, which is the beauty of the anti-Hindutva movement, and which is where the power and the impact of it can come from in combating fascism, that we don't need to be like them. We don't need to create like an RSS alternative that's anti-Hindutva. What we need to do is like embrace um, our, our, our disparate nature and, and fight like an insurgent type of tactic where we are autonomous. We're oftentimes collaborating, especially where there's overlap between us or where we can find like um, friendship uh, or where we like find like value and in, in, in alliance and partnership. Um, but we don't have to be like always walking in lockstep with each other. And if we, if we choose to embrace the anti-Hindutva movement that way, that that is where our, our effectiveness can come from. That is where the ultimate downfall of, of the Hindutva movement uh, will happen. Thank you, Peter. That was very elaborate. And thank you very much. Um, I had one question from the audience. Uh, they want to know your view on how Hindutva, if it continues to be the way it is, will affect America's democracy and its communal harmony in the future. If you have anything to add on that. Thank you. Sure. Well, let me pull out my crystal ball real quick and rub it off. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can I can only conjecture, um, yeah. but I, I mean, if it continues this, down this path, like it, it won't be good. Um, you know, I can I can detail some of the ways uh, in which like it's made particular inroads, uh -huh. but like we've seen Hindutva in California, um, we had the lower and upper legislatures of California pass 
this bill banning caste discrimination. It was a democratically passed bill in in California, which is where I'm from. Um, and then it goes to the governor's desk, and the governor is apparently influenced by visits from Hindutva-linked or Hindutva-aligned organizations and uh, pressured to, to veto it after it's democratically passed. Um, that's one way in which like, we could conceptualize how Hindutva, if it continues to grow in America, might influence our, our uh, sociopolitics is um, by being able to like, um, uh, twist the arms of, of our politicians to um, bend them to, to, to the whims of Hindutva. Um, you know, at, at the, you know, other levels, like we've seen, um, in Illinois, we've seen in the past couple of years, um, apparently Hindutva backed movements, uh, mobilized to oppose the construction of new masjids, of new mosques. And, um, again, I, I mean, they, they finally, as I recall, they, they did not succeed but they you know they mobilized that mass for months and months that's one way um is is we could see like the hindutva movement especially through its people power in america it's it, it's organizational and mobilizational power in america um be able to uh, take to the streets um and take to the halls of power and um prevent um or uh, or intimidate um, other religious minorities whom they don't like. Um, we uh, have seen, of, of course, like the way that they've influenced school curriculum in California and Texas and Virginia. You know, as as they continue to grow in power and embed themselves, and and, and I would emphasize, it's not just grow in people power, but it, because they're not necessarily growing in in terms of like size of population of people power. What they're really gro- doing is growing in terms of like accessing positions of influence, um, which we've seen in the past year, year and a half, where in the past year, I think it's just one year, we've had three separate people um, being appointed to positions um, within the Department of Homeland Security, who are people who have um, very extensive ties, uh, very documentable ties to the American Song Parvar. Um, not just as sympathizers, but as actual, like, involved in the American Song Parvar. And, um, I mean, it's in the past year. Have we seen in the past one year actual policy changes from the DHS, which we can, like, interpret as uh, impacting um, on American sociopolitics by... by, Propagating Hindutva, Hindutva ideology? No. But, I mean, now that these three people are there in those positions of power, what will they do? Will they also, now that they are, are in those positions of power, be able to help bring on other Hindutva sympathizers or associates into similar positions and begin to uh, stack the deck, as it were, over the next several years is possible? I mean, that's what we saw happen in India with the RSS. Uh, the RSS was founded in 1925, but the RSS 
didn't take power over India until 2014. Almost 100 years, 90 years, right? Like from 1925 through the rest of the 20th century, mostly what the RSS was doing was it was stacking positions of power and influence with its people, and it was propagandizing, brainwashing, spreading its ideology. Um, here in America, like if, if, if we don't stand up and push back right now, when we have people like this getting into positions of power and influence in the Department of Homeland Security, or we have people running for U.S. Congress, uh, like we have a new, new player um, in Ohio, Niraj Antani. Niraj Antani, he's, he's a Republican. He started as a, a member of the State Assembly of Ohio. Now he's a member of the State Senate of Ohio. Now he's running for U.S. Congress. Um, we have people in, in Illinois like Raj Krishnamurti who's already in the U.S. Congress. And he's on the House Intelligence Committee. And not only that, he's actually like uh, also the chair of the newly created like U, uh, U.S. House Committee on China, which is um, a sidebar, but which is, you know, a weird like conflict of interest, because if he's being funded by pro-Hindutva people, if he's linked to pro-Hindutva people in America, then how is this congressman expected to be objective when he's sitting on a when he's the chair of a committee uh, on China, for those of you who know about the China-India relationship. Um, we have, and this, this guy, Raja in, in Illinois, he wants to run for Senate. So like if he runs for Senate, like maybe not this term, but next term, um, he's going to be leveling up, leveling up to position of influence. And then if, if you have a U.S. Senator who's in Dutfo aligned, He's in a position where not only uh, what he can do policy-wise, but also what he can do as far as endorsements for other campaigns. If he, had, if he looks down from his high position of power as a senator and he picks out, well, this person's running for, for state senate. This person's running for U.S. Congress. I endorse them. I will go on the camp tra campaign trail and campaign for them. Uh, even though they're a Hindutva person, they have the position of being like a little bit of a kingmaker to help bring up other Hindutva associated people. So long term, I mean, if, if, if we don't push back, I, I don't have a crystal ball, um, but um, I would say like the, the outlook is, I don't know how negative, but it's certainly negative. Um, like these people already are getting in positions of, of, of quite a bit of power and influence politically in the US. Um, and they're, they're controlling the narrative to a large extent um, uh, at lower levels uh, in, in schools and places like that as far as like who is a Hindu, what is Hinduism, who gets to decide what Hinduism is, um, what is the history of India, how are we allowed to talk about India, and, and, and things like that. And then also, even beyond that, outside the borders of India, like, can we ban discrimination based on caste? That sort of thing. So, um, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's an issue that, like, is of concern. I think that was a very fair evaluation. I think you have a very good crystal ball, Uh 
space back uh, you're welcome to talk if you have anything to add or if you have any questions thank you very much um just want to do a quick mic check uh can you hear me yeah all good awesome thank you very much um peter i want to give you a quick background about me i'm a pakistani immigrant to canada uh largely very ignorant about all of these things that you're talking about and uh, i actually came across um uh, uh your the stuff you talked about uh, after the assass alleged assassination of a sikh in canada um and then obviously i just went down a bit of a rabbit hole so i have a few questions i have a two part question for you i hope you'll allow me that privilege which is how ambitious is the hindutva foreign policy would you um if if uh, would you do you think they would fund a conflict that would be advantageous to them for example do you think they would be a, a, through some back channels be funding a um uh, an attack on for example what happened on israel this is just an example i'm not making any accusations but i'm just saying would you think it's possible that they may have uh funded hamas to attack israel uh to basically create this rift in the in in global politics to strengthen their own agenda and then the second part question i have for you is um how are you, how, how is what's the credibility of these things like there's no documentation there's no there's, i haven't seen any vid, like uh, uh you know newspaper clippings or anything no big publications talking about these things that you're talking about and what i have personally seen a a just a slow creeping takeover of the institutions just through legal immigration and sometimes illegal immigration and like uh funding of politicians and uh, they seem to have the hindutva movement that you're talking about seems to have completely occupied the 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 sort of trump trumpian maga populist dialect and they seem to be very aligned because this is a movement globally that is uh, that is happening right we saw that in italy with uh, georgia maloney so in with trump and then in canada we have uh, a similar populist uh, uh, um sentiment um i and obviously i've seen hindutva really capture onto that or or people that are just indians and hindus uh, i i don't know if they're hindutva necessarily so i'm just curious like you know do you think there's a slight psyop here as well like uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on what i've asked yeah sure um interesting question first one um i mean we can conjecture and and speculate that there's 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 no evidence and and i'm very much focused on uh premising the anti-indutva struggle on hard evidence um because there's so much of it um that uh can be very effectively used uh to convince people to at least uh understand the hindutva movement uh internationally globally as a problem uh, to understand the takeover of india by the hindutva movement as uh the reality and to to understand the hindutva movement as fascistic at its core um i would argue that we cannot underestimate the ambitions of um this movement um there's been a lot of evidence for instance uh in the past several years uh globally of um indian consulates 
working hand in hand with the Hindutta organizations. We have many examples of Indian consuls, for instance, participating uh, jointly with uh, groups like the HSS, which is the international wing of the RSS, uh, at their or at their at their events um, and uh, promoting them um, and uh, promoting uh, these Hindutva groups on on foreign soil. Um, as far as uh, their their psyops on foreign soil, I mean. We do have now, most recently, and this was this has been um, kind of the biggest windfall in terms of allegations that has emerged that I've ever seen. We, of course, have this uh, allegation that there was this um, Canadian uh, Sikh citizen or Canadian citizen who was a Sikh. Who was assassinated on on Canadian soil um, uh, at the behest of or or by uh, India? Um, and uh, if that's true, which it may very well be, um, that would strongly suggest that Indian intelligence services are uh, very active, at least here in our own um, relatively democratic, relatively free countries. Um, how active they might be in, you know, I mean, I'm mean, taking that and then contextualizing that to other countries which have um, less protection of uh, democratic uh, freedoms, which have less uh, stringent uh, protection uh, in general of human rights, at least for their own citizens, which have uh, relatively... Um, uh, more corruption. Um, how active might Indian intelligence be in those countries? Um, that is uh, an issue uh, uh, to consider, which we have no hard and fast proof on at the moment, but which I think should be taken um, uh, into consideration. That. Well, I mean, I mean, you know, they're in they're in the Middle East, for instance. Like all of these, um, many of these these uh, uh, Muslim majority countries, which uh, still continue to like side pretty closely with India, despite what's happening to Muslims in India itself. Um, what is India actually doing to get that cooperation? Um, we don't know exactly. I'm sure there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff going on. Um, what is India doing in places like Israel um, to uh, aid and abet like the the um, conflict that's happening there? Well, what we do know is that, uh, what we can see in India, where after the conflict arose, um, there's this mass movement by Hindutva uh, personalities and, and, and sympathizers to um, uh, unconditionally support um, the, the Zionist um, uh, side of the conflict to um, to even like volunteer to send people over to fight for, for, for the Zionist cause. Um, now, even um, in the past few weeks, we've seen um, this proposal that uh, which would in some ways be probably some kind of an economic benefit to India. This proposal to have Israel bring over a hundred thousand um, uh, Indian laborers uh, to Israel 
to replace all of those uh, Palestinian laborers. Um, and, you know, on that, it, it, it's, it's all speculative um, at, at the moment, um, but it's speculation based off of what we know is already happening, what we know um, the, the motivations and the desires are, what we know as far as um, the influence that the Hindutva movement has openly uh, been, been having um, on a, on a socio-political level in, in, especially in North America. Uh, on your second question, um, um, uh, I'm gonna, I'm trying to recall exactly the nature of your second question. Um, but, uh, you were talking about, uh, uh seeing the evidence, um, well, I, here, here, in this, especially in the U.S., most of my research has, uh, my deep research has focused on the U.S., where I'm from, um, but I'm peripherally aware um, and have seen some evidences that I have not personally had the chance to compile, and unfortunately, they have not been compiled by other people mostly yet um, in Canada, U.K., and Australia, um, but here in the U.S., um, there's strong evidence of these groups engaging in basically getting politicians completely in their pocket um, in a way which is legal, um, in a way where the organization itself is not doing it. It's instead the leaders and members of the organizations, but they're doing it in a way which like no rational person should be able to deny uh, seems to be systematic and um, and uh, highly organized. Um, so, so Hope that touches on your question. Uh, please let me know if I if I missed anything you want me to clarify. Okay, uh, he's now in the panel with us. Uh, Clifford, uh, uh, CL has one question. Uh, after this question, we can wind up. Yeah, we'll take one more question. CL is not in the panel anymore. Should we invite her? No, I'm here. CL. Yeah. Peter, I'm just going back to your question about the school board of education that you said like a lot of Indians are coming uh, to the power, especially the educational department, and they would change the history. I don't think that we, we don't have to, or you don't have to, or we shouldn't be afraid of that. Since the population, Indian population is growing in certain cities, so naturally, they will ask for Diwali holidays and other holidays. And it's not only happening with the Hindu people, even the Jewish, we have Jewish holiday, we have Chinese New Year holiday, you know, you know that, right? So why should we be afraid of every Hindu that comes into power? I think that is like overreaction. Yeah, well, I mean, um, as you said, uh, as you phrased that, I, I think you may be putting words into my mouth because I didn't argue that. I, I, I do not argue, I never have argued that we should be afraid of every Hindu that comes into power. There's a lot of good Hindus who are in political positions who, who, uh, who I celebrate and embrace. Uh, Pramila Jayapal in Congress, for instance, would be one of them at times, um, to a lesser extent these days, but at times Congressman Rokana has been one of them. Uh, other people like this, um, there's various people at state levels as well and, and elsewhere. Um, so I haven't argued that. In fact, actually, um, you mentioned like the these uh, uh, Diwali holidays and stuff being celebrated. I haven't even mentioned that in this entire conversation. Um, I have no problem with that whatsoever. Strongly support that. 
um, I think, especially in a pluralistic society like the U.S. is, that uh, we should have um, politicians who, who um, are willing to uh, recognize uh, the importance to their diverse communities, their diverse uh, uh, voter base of, of every um, religious holiday, um, including Diwali, um, of course. Um, however, um, one thing, and, and again, like, um, you know, you're bringing up something which actually in this conversation I haven't even mentioned, um, but you're bringing up something which, which I have talked about in, in the past, um, as far as these resolutions, say, for instance, at city levels. Now, when we want to talk about resolutions like Diwali, um, the, the question is, uh, who is going to the local city and requesting that the local city recognize Diwali? Is it the local Hindu temple? If so, that's one thing. That's great. Perfectly fine. No problem. Nobody has an issue with that. Or is the HSS, which is the U.S. wing of the RSS, this Hindu National Paramilitary in India, is the HSS the one going to the local city council and requesting recognition of Diwali? And then, as we've seen on many occasions, many, many occasions, is the HSS, when they approach the local city council and request a resolution recognizing the Diwali, are they giving the city council language for that resolution, which includes within the resolution recognition of the HSS itself as well? And we've seen that on many occasions. We've seen that on occasions where the HSS goes to local city councils, requests recognition of Diwali or of Hindu Heritage Month or of uh, yoga, or of things like that. And not only is the HSS the one soliciting the resolution, but the HSS is the one proposing the language which is ultimately adopted, which includes a paragraph talking about the HSS and about how wonderful the HSS is. And then the HSS is the one that is actually going and meeting the city council at the city council meeting while wearing the HSS branded uniform and accepting the resolution, which in that case, it has nothing to do with like the city, like acknowledging as it should, as nobody here has any problem with the importance or, or beauty of things like yoga or Hindu heritage month or Diwali. Instead, it has everything to do with the HSS as an organization, as an organization which is the U.S. affiliate of the RSS, empowering itself by getting that stamp of approval and pat on the back from, from the city. I just wanted to counterattack to that one. Uh, Peter, um, not every time the HSS comes and asks these questions in the city council, even the local Indian people have come and asked for the requisition. And I can vouch for uh, the state of New Jersey and New York. You know, people do come because they wanted to have, they didn't know. 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Now they have been living for quite some time and they see how other people work. They learn from them and they go and request for normal holidays. You know, that's how uh, most of the things I didn't know. I, I have not seen any HSS. I'm against HSS people, but I have not seen any HSS coming and asking for holidays um, in every city council. Uh, sure. Oh, I, I, I appreciate that. I mean, as I said, like, 
I would differentiate between the HSS doing it and somebody uh, not doing it under the banner of the HSS. And uh, in in my experience over the years, um, I've seen the HSS being uh, in many times uh, the primary organization behind a lot of this. Uh, and um, I've seen pushback. I've participated in pushback against this um, where uh, there have been multiple city councils now throughout the U.S. which have rescinded uh, proclamations for things like yoga because they uh, were educated about how the organization behind it was was the hss but if it's if it's not if it's not the hss doing it if it's not a hindutta organization doing it then yeah of course uh, i mean it's 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 wonderful to see you know something like this happen all right uh thank you peter so much for your time uh yeah i think we'll wrap questions up here and uh we'll let you continue with the rest of your day uh, we can continue discussing about this even after Peter leaves. People want to stay back. If you have more questions, we'll engage them. We can discuss more. And uh, uh, the, thank you, Dilibabu, for bringing Peter again once to join us. Uh, Dilibabu, if you want to speak, and uh, can I can I say uh, one question yeah. before Peter wraps? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Yes. Okay. Oh, sure. Yeah, I have just I have oh, just one minutes. question for. Okay, yeah, just one quick question. It's more of a rhetorical question. Uh, hey, Peter. Uh, Peter, my question for you is that you have written this book. Uh, what you have stated is obvious facts. They are visible as daylight. We see Hindutva organizations being funded. You know, um, in the back end, there is RSS. Even somebody with basic internet skills can go and check who are the people. Uh, there are many. They are, they are not only funding organizations. You have they are funding companies, IT companies, companies in AI. Just a basic check on the founders can reveal that they have deep ties with an ideological organization in a foreign government. And on top of that, we have their elements which have been seeded into United States um, through our immigration legal immigration channels mostly who have come here in large numbers they are used to intimidate other minorities cause conflicts especially with Sikhs kind of defaming them kind of you know mouth the propaganda of India out out here in our country and so my question to you is all this is happening we all can see it do we have a security something called national security establishment in United States of America are they seeing it? If they are seeing it, are they sleeping on the job? Or are they ever going to wake up? Or what are they going to do in your assessment? Or are they actually doing something? Or are we going to are we destined to become another banana republic like some of the other countries are? Well, Brother Ajit, uh, that question, uh, deep question. Um, I'm going to leave it at this for now. Sorry. Yeah, I don't want to put yeah. you on the spot. It's a rhetorical question. But if you want to comment, it's your choice. Yeah. No, no, no. And I appreciate it. I saw your hand raised and I, and I do have to go. But I, I, I felt a little bad leaving like before you had a chance to, to uh, engage. Um, let me leave it at this. That I think the Indian American community in the U.S., which is anti-Hindutva, um, needs to continue to embrace, as I've seen it happening, but continue to embrace and expand upon the uh, 
deep need to work um, uh, across communities to work with this uh, mentality of, 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 of multi-minority cooperation, Sikhs, Muslims, Christians, Dalits, Hindus, etc. Um, and do that at the same time, I think that there's a need for them also to double, triple, quadruple, quintuple down on their engagement with the federal government. Um, the sad reality, I mean, it's, it's a good thing it's happening, but it's not enough. So, so the sad reality um, at the moment that I've seen is that there are a tiny handful of national anti-Hindutva organizations working at the federal level. Uh, Indian American Muslim Council, Hindus for Human Rights, Federation of Indian American Churches of North America, Indian American, Federation of Indian American Christian Organizations of North America. Um, that's pretty much it. Um, at the, uh, uh, when it comes to Sikh organizations that are working in cooperation with those three groups, Muslim, Hindu, and Christian that I just mentioned, I'm actually not aware of uh, any national Sikh organization um, that is working in close cooperation with them. As far as I know, groups like Saldef, Sikh Coalition, etc., like they don't have a lot of collaboration with groups like IEMC, H4HR, and Fiacona, um, unfortunately. Um, but there's there's like just a handful of these groups that are working at, at the federal level that are the ones that are doing the engagement with the national security apparatus, for instance. Yeah, um, I'll, I, I sorry I interrupted you, Peter, uh, but I'll tell yeah. you like now I'm getting the full import of your book and last couple of months, and that's why I did not message you back on the discussion we had. But I can promise you today, this will change in one year or two years' time. We need to change that. This can't go on, you know. Like, we can't have lack of six represent voice being represented at the federal level. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and especially with that, like, multi-minority, like, like uh, cooperation, collaboration uh, going on. Like, the Sikhs, the Sikhs are unfortunately a very lacking voice. I mean, the Hindus need to be a stronger voice, but there is Hindu presence. Um, the, 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 the Christians... Um, I, I'm, I'm, you know, as I mentioned earlier on, I don't think you were here just last week. I was in New Jersey. I was speaking uh, at the annual banquet of the National Association of Asian Indian Christians. Um, and the Indian Christians uh, are far behind when it comes to political organization. But there is some presence there. They need to get more active and, and a stronger uh, base around the country. Um, the, 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 the Indian Muslims so far seem to be like uh, the, the best organized. Uh, the Sikhs are very strongly organized and have been politically for a long time around the country. Um, but I don't see very much collaboration between them and a lot of these uh, other groups when it comes to the anti-Hindutva struggle. And not, um, but just in general, as far as when it comes to the national security apparatus, um, Is that my my perspective is that there there needs to be like I said a quintupling down of, of engagement, 
Um, there is some engagement there, but there's not enough. Um, and, and, and these, these national security organizations need to be seeing the people power uh, of the Indian American community, which is um, kind of mentioned earlier, but like didn't get into the, into the details. Like the, the numbers I have uh, as of, I think, the last uh, uh, um, uh, census or databasing or whatever is uh, like 4.2 Indian, Indian American, 4.2 million Indian Americans. About 50% of those are not Hindus which is a completely different like demographic from India. About 50% of uh, 4.2 million Indian Americans are not Hindus. Now, of course, we also have to context uh, contextualize that those 50% who are Hindus, the, the majority of them are not actually Hindutva Hindus, at least just when it comes to like vocally organized, active, mobilized Hindutva Hindus. Uh, most of them are just normal everyday people that want to live their lives. Um, so, but like the 50% that you have on the other side, Christian, Sikh, Muslim, Dalit, Buddhist, etc. Um, like they represent a massive vote bank. Uh, they represent massive people power uh, in this country, but um, they're they're not politically organized and mobilized enough yet. I think for the people like or for uh, uh, outlets like the national security apparatus to recognize um, the significance. Of, of their voice when they speak up about concern about these issues. Yeah, Peter, I'll just add one thing to what you did not say explicitly. Um, but we, you are right. The Sikhs are the most well-organized minority group, whether it is in India or whether it is in U.S. And why do you don't see their voice at the federal level is because of foreign interference in Sikh affairs right sitting here in U.S. Many of our organizations right at the top, uh, there are now open and deep concerns whether they have been compromised by direct operations by Indian government itself. I think that's a, a, your book kind of sheds some light on that, you know, very, very deep, I would say, national security issue. Uh, and we, uh, I think that's uh, thanks to you and now it has become an open topic of discussion between the Sikh Sangat, not only in U.S., but globally. Um, and I think that is a key aspect why the Sikhs, while they are being the best organize, organized, they, their voice itself is muted at the federal level where it matters. But I think the, our hope is and my hope is and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll try to change that. Yeah, Harjeet, thank you. And we were actually primarily uh, throughout this space discussing um, topics related to my new book, Saffron America. But the book you're referencing, uh, and if anybody wants to understand um, at some level uh, uh, the idea of foreign interference in Sikh American political organizing, uh, my book Sikh Caucus uh, is also um, uh, published about uh, two years ago, two and a half years ago now. And it's available on, on Amazon. Uh, so with that, um, uh, Dilly Babu, uh, Clifford and all, I, I really appreciate you uh, guys organizing this space. Uh, look forward to connecting again. Thanks, thanks, uh, um, Peter, for coming up. Uh... Yeah, thank you, Peter. Have a good rest of your day. Uh, we'll discuss more. Hopefully catch, we'll catch you again at some, some other space. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for tuning in. 
If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe and follow for more to come as we look forward to dialoguing once again on DOSA.